1209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We do not go gently into the good weekend, long weekend, warm weekend, about time. We deserve it. And keep in mind, Memorial Day is, of course, the time to remember those who've made the ultimate sacrifice. And I would encourage you to take time away, just a couple minutes, if you can, away from your picnics or your golf games or whatever activities you might have planned. And remember the real purpose behind Memorial Day. And if you can attend one of the numerous events that are going on in the community, I would encourage you to do that. So, Gru, who's producing the show today and always. I go to the baseball game last night at, at tickets. And, yeah, it was it was five to nothing. They they were in the game. Zach Davies was kind of struggling a little bit. And um, they, they had a chance. They had the bases loaded, like, in the third or fourth inning. And Perez came up and couldn't get the key hit and and the game kind of got out of control but still i mean they're off to a very good season eric bilstadt was just telling you the big brewers news if you are a, a baseball fan um and this this shows to me the difference between the expectations this year and perhaps years in the past orlando arcia brewers starting shortstop viewed as the shortstop of the the future i mean this is the type of guy that you build a franchise around um, he's in his third year, and he's he's playing. He's a great defensive shortstop, incredibly talented, incredibly athletic. Problem is, he he can't. This year, he can't hit. Just flat out can't hit at all. He's hitting uh, below two hundred. He's had a, a couple key hits that have helped him win games, but game in, game out, he he's struggling. And I, I was at the game last night, like I say, and he just he just looked like he was lost. Nevertheless, he's an incredibly talented player. Well, the announcement is today they're taking Orlando Arcia, who might be their best defensive player, shortstop of the future. They sent him down to Double A, sent him down, sent him down to the minors. They're bringing back Eric Sogard, who was the kind of a flash in a pan star last year, who they brought, who started on the roster this year, and he couldn't hit, and he got sent down to Triple A. Now, I, my guess is the plan isn't to keep Arcia in in Double A very long. I think what they're trying to do is. Send him down for a couple of weeks, maybe hope he gets straightened out, and then bring him back. But but this I think shows, you know, where the Brewers are, namely that they, they think they can win this year, and they just don't have, they can't carry players who, for whatever reason, aren't producing at the moment. And so I, I think maybe in years past, if this was a few years ago when they were thinking maybe it would be a great season if we are somehow able to play 500 baseball. Maybe they would have continued to struggle through and let Arcia try to work it out in the big legs because he's such a talented player. Uh, this year, it, you, you can't do that. And so he's down, finds himself, and I imagine he might have been a little bit surprised at that, probably not too terribly happy, but it, the Brewers expect production, and that's great from a fan's perspective. The other thing they did is uh, backup catcher Jet Bandy, who we've had on the opening day broadcast the last uh, two years, very, very nice guy, nice young man, um, but he's been struggling as well. Can't hit, and his defense has not been great as the backup catcher. They've designated him for assignment, and they 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 got a player from the New York Yankees who played. He's been been back and forth. He's thirty seven years old. He's a catcher who it kind of sounds almost like the the old movie Bull Durham, kind of like the uh, the Crash Davis, the Kevin Costner character. There, he, he spent. More time, I think, in the minor leagues than in the major leagues. He's 37 years old. I think played four games in the major leagues last year. But the the Brewers, they've traded for him, and they're going to use him in the backup catcher role for a little bit. But, again, it shows that you got to produce. 
And apparently they had just decided that, you know, Jet Bandy, who they'd gotten a trade a year or two ago, you know, wasn't producing at the level they needed. So, you know, they're, they're moving on. And that's unfortunate for some of the players involved, but it does show where this organization is. And namely the fact that they, um, they think they're going to be contending not just for the playoffs, but for the World Series. And from a fan perspective, I think that is extremely exciting. All right, we have a lot of ground to cover on today's show. Let's get started. Three big things. The Sterling Brown case continues to percolate. As you've been hearing all day, he made an appearance with Robert Roberts on Good Morning America telling his story. Um, And I think we, we all know what happened, and I think a lot of us have our opinions. We discussed this yesterday, and, and my my take on this was that I think there's still a lot of unanswered questions that are out there. I think the way this has been handled by the police department and by the mayor's office um, it has just been awful from the, the beginning. I mean, just absolutely awful from the beginning. And I don't think it's gotten any better by the way the new police chief has handled it. My description was four words, not ready for prime time, if you weren't listening yesterday. But during the program yesterday, it came out what the discipline was. At least the Journal Sentinel was reporting what the discipline was. The first police officer on the scene who originally uh, confronted Sterling Brown, who clearly had an attitude. You, you listen to the, the tape, and one of the things that police officers are taught and encouraged to do is try to de-escalate a situation. Um, this officer clearly did not do that. You know, didn't de-escalate the situation, and it appeared that the officer was kind of looking for an argument from the, the beginning. He, he had what I would describe as an attitude. Um, he was suspended for two days, two days. And then you had the two sergeants who then came onto the scene later on. And it, it is, I mean, it's just in some respects, and I don't mean to minimize this, in some respects from a police perspective, it's like a comedy of errors. You have a guy 2 o'clock in the morning who's illegally parked, and he calls for backup, and instead of just one police car coming, suddenly you've got, seems like almost the whole district, you've got eight people, you've got multiple supervisors there, and, and nobody ends up leaving. It, it's just, you're kind of going, okay, what was going on that night? But the two sergeants who showed up at the scene, one was apparently suspended for 10 days and one was suspended for 15 days. One of those two sergeants, I believe, was one of the people that used the taser. Um, Nobody's been fired. Suspensions two days, 10 days, 15 days. Some local politicians calling for people to be fired, et cetera, et cetera. There is, of course, undoubtedly going to be the, the lawsuit, which is going to be filed, and there'll be a request for money damages and things like that. All right, I, I don't know how that's going to turn out. But from the perspective of the discipline, two days for the initial officer who arrived on the scene, who was, I think, fair to describe surly, to say he was surly and he was condescending. Um, the two supervisors who, rather than understand the scene as what it was, allowed the situation to escalate to the use of a taser. One of them gets 10 days. One of them gets 15 days. The suspensions are, my understanding, is without pay. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I said yesterday, and I continue to believe today, I, I think these penalties are appropriate. I think the way the police handled this situation was not good. I, I think they did not, again, the phrase is de-escalate the situation. 
They took something. They made it worse. At the same time, nobody got shot. Nobody was killed. I'm not endorsing what they did. But I don't think that this is a situation which calls for people to be fired. This strikes me as about right under the circumstances. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, this is kind of a Goldilocks situation. I, I don't think it's too light. I don't think it's too harsh. I think it's just about right. What do you think? We discuss next. It's 1217. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Charlotte in Brookfield. Charlotte, good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Charlotte. Hi. What do you think? I was thinking that that was pretty good uh, punishment. And but I also told uh, the guy that answered the mm-hmm. phone maybe show their pictures so because they're not undercover cops. And no, and their, their names that. are starting to leak out. I mean, I, some some outlets are reporting their names. Um, I, I do I, I do think the way the new chief has handled this has just been bizarre to me. Um, I, I would have rather than kind of hiding and not saying anything. I think he would have been so much better to come out and say, "All right, here's the videotape." This is what we've determined. This is why we think the two-day suspension is appropriate. This is why we think the 10-day suspension is appropriate. And identify the cops. The, the fact that he hasn't, I think, has made it worse. Because people are going, okay, who are these people? And why aren't you naming names? And I did want to say this, that if we keep firing people for doing wrong and not training them, no one's going to have a job. Well, yeah. I'm, and plus, to me, firing Firing someone is the nuclear option. I mean, I, I and there there are certain circumstances where I think it it, it may very well be appropriate to fire fire a police officer for misconduct. But yeah. I don't see that in in this case, and I'm not justifying it. The first guy on the scene, the patrol officer, it, it struck me that he was being a jerk. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. And and you know he he didn't again the phrase they use is de escalate. I I think he had an attitude and. Um, and I, I think he deserved to be punished for that. The supervisors were supposed to get control of the situation, and they didn't. So, I mean, I, I think there's blame to go around, but it's not like somebody was beating somebody. It's not like somebody shot somebody. I, I just I don't think this rises to the level of having to fire someone. Right. Yeah. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening, Charlotte. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Ron in Muskego. Hi, Ron. You're on WTMJ. Hi. What do you think? Uh, like I was saying here, mm-hmm. uh, it comes down to the fact that uh, if and did what he was told, uh, they wouldn't about a taser. They wouldn't have to worry about suspensions or anything else. I think suspensions are too heavy. Um, I, I got it. Ron, I'm sorry. Your, your phone is cutting in and out. I apologize. Um, for people, if, if folks didn't hear what you were saying, you said you think the suspensions were too heavy. If he would have, your your point was, if Brown would have completely complied, none of this would be necessary. Um, to an extent, I, I, I guess. Um, here's my problem with with this. I mean, this was a, a long encounter, and while I, I think Brown could have, I, I think he ratcheted stuff up as, as well. Uh, but but he wasn't he wasn't being abusive. Yeah, I mean, they, they told him, get your hands out of his pocket. But this was an ongoing encounter. He had his hands out of his pocket at a different time. They should have just, they should have given the guy the ticket and just left. Why you needed the eight police officers on the scene, 
why you needed this ongoing dialogue about, oh, you're a big man, you're an athlete, you know, have you been to the moon, all that type of stuff. That's, I, I mean, it's just that that's unnecessary. And this comes from, the, at least in my opinion, it's unnecessary. It comes from, it, it almost struck me like the police officer or officers were in the process of baiting this guy. And remember earlier this week, we, we had a, a story. Matter of fact, I tweeted it out. We did it. And it was an example of where a police officer had in South Carolina, I think, had made a stop of a guy. And the man had complained that the police officer was racial profiling, and he had said, what are you doing in this neighborhood dealing drugs and stuff? And it was all captured on the body camera. And it turned out the story was complete BS. And the body camera actually vindicated the officer. The officer had handled it in a completely and totally professional manner, and you had these false allegations. In this particular case, you, you look at the body camera, and again, I, I don't know if the some of these officers were having a bad night or, or whatever, but it seems like they were looking for a confrontation. And rather than just treating treating a man who really hadn't committed a crime, rather than treating him with a, you know, a degree of, we're doing this investigation, let's treat him with respect, they, they, it almost seemed like they were looking to try to provoke a response. And this comes from the perspective of somebody who is extremely pro-law enforcement. But I, I, they didn't handle it right. And I'm not going to defend situations where, in my mind, I don't think they handle it right. I, and I think, at the same time, that this isn't none of the stuff that I have seen tells me and suggests to me that this is a fireable sort of offense. And I think the people that are demanding that are way over the top on the other side. Maybe this is going to be a teachable moment. Um, but, again, police officers are given a whole bunch of power. And I understand that um, it's a very, very tough job. Believe me, I, I get it. And I understand sometimes last thing you want to do is, you know, you, you confront some people who maybe aren't, don't comply as quickly as possible. And maybe there's a lot of blame to go around here. But it doesn't look to me like the officers that arrived on that scene that night were necessarily into problem solving and trying to ad- advance this. Um, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and that's why I don't think they handled it. I, they, they, they could have handled it a lot better, and I don't think there was a reason to tase this man. I just don't. Eddie in Milwaukee. Eddie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, I, I was talking to the guy, and he, he was, I was telling him about the people that are calling in are mostly suburbans, and, and, and they're all white or non-black, and they shouldn't prejudge this guy. Brown probably didn't do anything because I hadn't done anything. He just left church. And it got me out of the car and roughed me up, and I was almost 80 years old. Mm-hmm. And this is several years ago, but I'm just saying, a couple of years ago. But they took me out of the car like I was a, a piece of like, like you were a drug dealer. <laughs> like like you were a drug dealer. Yeah, I, I and I, um, Eddie, thanks. They told me to sit on the curb. For what? Right. Now, Eddie, and see, and I, I understand that the, the, the way you perceive, the, the way someone police perceives the police um, varies depending on the community you grew up in. Um, it, it varies perhaps based on, you know, racial disparities and things like that. And, and, and that's the elephant in the room here. I mean, you have white cops and you have, you know, a black suspect who's wearing a gold chain and driving a nice car. And maybe they thought the guy was a drug dealer or whatever. I, I, I don't know. But I, I will just tell you, as I try to be objective about this, I look at this and 
the, the police, I think, mishandled the situation. Um, and I think that I, I feel that way. Uh, did, does anybody deserve to be fired? No. Does there deserve to be some sort of penalty? Yes. And in this case, I think the penalties were right. It is unfortunate to me, though, that the chief has not been more forthcoming. And I've said this for the last couple of days. The way they should have handled this was not not leaking stuff out and calling different, doing focus groups essentially on and, and showing this video. They should have had our news conference. They should have released the video. They should have released whatever reports they have to release. They should have said, this is what the discipline is going to be and this is why. And then just let it all out instead of having this go on day after day after day with people speculating about stuff. It's 1228. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 89 degrees outside. Festival season is almost upon us. Though there's fun for all, things can quickly turn scary. If you lose track of one of your kids, Gene Miller gets tips from an expert on dealing with small children and large crowds. That's at 621 on Tuesday on Wisconsin's Morning News. Tune that in. I, I always remember, we, and, and this is coming from the perspective of somebody who did not have children uh, myself, and I remember... When I first started working here years and years ago, I was out at State Fair. And, of course, you've seen our broadcast facility at State Fair. We call it the fishbowl. And, and people can come out and look. It's a glass booth. And people can come and, and look at us or look at me. And I get to go and look out at people. And I remember there was one year that the, the, the hot item used to be all these small kids were on leashes. They were wearing, like, backpacks. And they had leashes, kind of like I have leash for my dog. And, like, the parents had the leashes on the kids. And I, I remember thinking that that was odd until I, I started going to some of these big events with, for example, my, my niece or my nephew. And it, it is true. I mean, little kids, you, you blink, you know, and, and they're just gone. And so I'm still not sure that the leashes are the best idea, but I understand where that was coming from. It was just, it was just so odd to watch all these parents walk around with their kids on leashes. But, you know, they, you, you knew where they were going to be, so I kind of got it. All right. Big story number two. Uh, yesterday, Oklahoma City, yesterday evening, about 6.30, there is apparently a popular Oklahoma City slash bar and restaurant. It is called Louis Bar and Grill. People are eating. People are drinking. 6.30 in the evening, uh, a person, young man, walks into Louis Bar and Grill and starts shooting opens fire with a handgun. Nobody knows what the guy's motive was, at least at this point in time. But he starts shooting. He shoots three people who are all expected to survive. But he shoots three people and then begins to run from the scene. Meanwhile, it's, of course, chaos in in this bar, in this restaurant, because somebody walks in and starts shooting, so people are, like, running all over. Three people shot and a fourth person breaks their arm when they're kind of trampled in, in, in the run. But the gunman, after shooting these three people, leaves the building. All right, now here's what happens. And there's this is what a um, one of the people who was there, this is how they describe the incident when they're talking to CNN. Guy's name who describes this, his name is Ron Benton. He says um, he, was, he was in the restaurant. And he said it sounded um, like a kind of restaurant noise, a rack of plates crashing, glass breaking. But it was followed by a pop, pop, pop sound, and a wall of people started making their way to the floor and making their way around to the backside of the bar. When the shooting stopped, this particular witness, like I say, his last name is Roy Benton, um, Ron Benton, 
he and some of his friends head out to the parking lot. There, they spot the gunman walking on the sidewalk. They say he was just like a 20-something-year-old kid, didn't look very old. He was wearing ear protection and eye protection that you would have at a shooting range. Okay, so then the witness says he saw a car circle back after exiting Louis's parking lot. A guy jumped out and goes for the back of the vehicle. And the witness says, I assume maybe it was an off-duty officer or something like that. It was just the way he moved. Whoever it was, he appeared to be somebody who had some trainings with, with weapons. So you've got the, the shooter that's out on the sidewalk, and you have this car that like is now circled around the parking lot, and a guy jumps out. The witness says, the guy that jumped out of the car, the witness says, I told him, hey, that's the guy that just fired the shots. Um, the guy that was in the, got out of the car, plus another man, they're yelling, stop, stop, stop. Please put the gun down, put the gun down. And the witness says, I was pointing at him, and I'm yelling, put it down, put it down, put it down. And the shooter doesn't. He apparently fires at the, the witness and fires at the people who jumped out of the car. Um, gunman wouldn't drop the weapon. And so these two people who got out of the car who are now armed, um, they shoot, and there's an exchange of gunfire, and the shooter, the guy that walked into the restaurant, he shot dead. They, 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 they kill him. Um, and now the police come out, and they're you know investigating this entire thing. But what you have is the, the shooter was confronted outside the restaurant by what you could, I guess, describe as, as one or two good Samaritans who happened to have guns in their car. They confronted him. There was a gun battle, and the the shooter ended up losing. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, as soon as this happened, NRA comes out with a statement saying, uh, again, this is the, the value of, of an armed, this is, you know, what happens when you have, you know, armed, you know, people. This is how, you know, the best way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun, et cetera, et cetera. So they're applauding this. Other people are saying, well, they escalated the situation by confronting him. They should have let him go. Let the police handle this. All right. These men who confronted the shooter outside the restaurant as he was in the process of leaving, heroes, villains, somewhere in between. Should they have gotten involved? Should they have engaged him and gotten into a gun battle? 414-799-1620. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Mike in Muskego. Hi, Mike. Hey, afternoon, Jeff. I'm a law enforcement officer, and I absolutely love stories like this. I I'm in huge favor of concealed carry. I carry all the time myself off duty. And this is just a prime example of what can be done with the proper training and allowing people to carry firearms. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had some training. Um, he prevented so much carnage. This guy was trying to get away. Um, you know, it was premeditated. He's wearing uh, eyeglasses and the earbuds. He prevented a shootout later on, saved countless lives. Um, you know, I feel comfortable with guys like this out there carrying weapons. Yeah, there is some bad apples, but these guys outweigh the bad apples. And people need to understand that we can't prevent this stuff from happening. We can only stop it quickly to prevent carnage 
or stop it during it. Well, okay, Mike. Let me let me ask you the, the flip side. This is what the people who are criticizing these 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 guys that confronted the shooter are saying: Hey, you're you're not law enforcement people. Obviously, you knew how to handle firearms, but you engaged the guy that you two. Then and then this gun battle in a public place broke out. Somebody could have been hit. Somebody could have been killed. You could have been killed. Some other bystander could have been killed. You re- took the risk of making it worse by confronting the shooter in this particular setting. It's called the greater danger theory. There is more of a danger if they let that guy go with that gun when he was already shooting people. Yeah. They did a great job. They saved lives. These men were in the right. Even if people were to get hit in a crossfire, there's still a better chance that they're going to prevent the subject from hurting or killing innocent people if they get into a shootout with them. So what would you rather have? A guy randomly shooting off, killing people, or somebody trying to stop the guy? From the killing. Right. And especially in this particular case, apparently people who obviously knew had firearms training and obviously knew what they were doing. So it's not just like any, you know, Yahoo pulls out a gun and just starts shooting. These guys obviously knew. And one of the things that is interesting to me is uh, apparently when they confronted him, it was drop the gun, drop the gun. And, you know, he refused to do that, which tells me that, that he wasn't planning to simply surrender himself, whether it was law enforcement or otherwise. This guy was planning. He was will he was ready to shoot whoever he had to shoot. And my biggest advice for people that do carry, train. Just train with it. Do some scenarios. Talk to law enforcement officers or your police department, and they'll get you some training. And they'll run some things by uh, in practice because you never know when something like this could occur or where. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the call, Mike. And by the way, I completely and totally agree with that. I mean, I've told the story before, but back in another life, I, I, I carried a, a gun for a couple of years because of death threats and things like that. But that you, you know, you had back then, you know, you, you had to, you had to train with it. You had to know how to use the gun. The, the, the worst thing in the world, even in a concealed carry world, is the fact that somebody chooses to own a firearm and doesn't know how to use it because that, that just makes matters worse. Now, in this particular case, the folks that confronted the shooter, the, the guy or the two guys, or I think it might have been actually two guys, the folks that confronted the shooter, they clearly were trained, they clearly knew what they were doing, and they clearly were in a situation where they took out the shooter. So they get credit for that. Now, you change the facts, and somebody who's never fired a gun and doesn't know, you know which end is which, that might be a different dynamic. But in this case, I agree. I think these guys were heroes, and I think they saved lives. Chris in Waukesha. Chris, good afternoon. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I, I agree with you 100%. I think these guys are heroes. Not only did they take the shooter out, but they did it responsibly. They didn't just shoot. They yeah. asked him to drop the gun first. They gave him a chance. And for those who think that they're not heroes, um, where was he going next? You yeah. let him walk away, and he decides, well, that went well. I'm going to go to the next bar, and I'm going to shoot that one up, too. Right, or or I'm going to walk into the middle of the intersection, or there's a daycare center down the block, or whatever, you know, or churches, you know, mass is just getting out, or whatever, I'm going to start shooting. Right, once you, I say, I'm with you, once you've made that decision that you're going to walk in a restaurant and, and start just randomly shooting at people, that tells me that you've crossed a certain line, and you need to be... You need to be stopped, and there weren't any police on the scene. I don't think it would have been responsible to let the guy go. No, not at all, because I think it was a couple of years ago, there was that kid in California, I think, who was in his car, just started driving places, and just started shooting people at random. Right. And just kept going until he got killed. Right. And, it, and, and see, and I do appreciate, Chris, that it, 
it could have turned out differently. All right, maybe, maybe this is a situation where the the good Samaritans, maybe maybe one of those could have lost their life, or, or maybe this guy could have been a better shot, and or, or whatever, or maybe a bystander could have get gotten hit. I understand that those are some of the risks and the would have should haves, but the, the flip side is if you just let this go, like you say, who else is he going to end up killing? It, it was a risk, and in this case, it was a risk that obviously was worth taking because it's the bad guy that ended up losing. Absolutely. Thanks for the call. Now, I guess that's how you, that's how you kind of, I, that's how I kind of look at it. Now, I, this might not always be the case, but clearly, and I don't know, they haven't released the names of the people who were involved in the, um, as, as the ones who had the gun and, and actually took out the bad guy. So I, I don't know what their degree of training was, but obviously they knew what they were doing. And I guess I look at this and say, you know, all is well that ends well. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Well, well, thank you. Did this guy do it right? Did this oh, guy- yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I look at it from one standpoint, one standpoint only. Is the, is the concealed carry guys have a choice. They can engage or not engage. The shooter, if you will, um, uh, has a, 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 you know, an option to engage or not engage. The victims don't. Yeah. So, I mean, really, when it gets right down to it, if they're willing to engage and they're willing to do it in, in a responsible, you know, right. I guess, seat-of-the-pants moment type of, type of thing, hey, well, why not? I mean, yeah. if, you know, if, you, if, you walk into, if you walk into something, if you're, if you're going into it with, with ill intent and you know nobody's armed, well, you get a free run. You don't know. It's, it's nice placing that doubt right now in, in somebody's mind saying, you know what? There might be somebody that's really engaged, and yeah, I may lose. Well, see that—that's. I, I mean, again, it, it's one of the the myths of the gun-free zones. You know, some of these like businesses and all say, okay, well, we're we're going to put up signs and we say people can't carry firearms in there. Well, that might stop law-abiding citizens from carrying firearms, but it's certainly not going to stop the bad guy from walking in or bad guys from walking in. All you're doing is de uh, you're 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 just simply saying them. right. Yeah, you're, 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 you're exactly. You're de-escalating. It's, it's kind of like putting out a you know one of those honor boxes for food alongside those things. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. and we all know how well that works. Thanks. Yeah. For, I guess I I mean I, I look at this and there's woulda coulda should ofs, but in this particular situation, I and and one of the other things I was curious about was. You know, was this where somebody was shot in the back? Was the guy fleeing or whatever? No, I mean, this was apparently they confronted the gunman. They were screaming, put the firearm down, put the weapon down, drop the weapon. He decided to try to engage in a shootout. He lost. I'm not going to lose any sleep over this at all. 1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, coming up next, the mainstream media gets it wrong once again with President Trump. And after that, big story. I tweeted this out a little while ago. Um, ESPN gets well, taken to the woodshed by the Wall Street Journal. Stick around. It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we talk about people in this country illegally, the, the image is people sneaking across the southern border or coming. That, that, that's what we think of. And, and that that's an element of it. But there's other elements as well. Here's a dazzling detail. They estimate that about half of the people who are in this country illegally are people who came into the country legally on a visa or something like that and have just stayed. 
if you will remember, think think back to September 11th, 2001, when you had the planes that were hijacked and flown into the various buildings. Though the hijackers all had come into this country legally on various types of temporary visas and then had just not left. They, they had just melted into the, the countryside. And if you talk to a lot of immigration officials, one of the things that they will tell you is, is they believe, by and large, we do a pretty decent job of of identifying the people who are coming into this country. Now, I understand there's going to be people who are sneaking across the country, and I, I get that. But, but as a general rule, I, I think we do a pretty good job of keeping track of the people who are coming into this country. What we do a lousy job of is once somebody is in this country, keeping track of them and making sure they leave when they are supposed to leave. Again, as I was saying a couple of minutes ago, the, the estimates are that about half of the people who are in this country illegally came in legally and then just never left. Which brings me to a controversial policy, or at least it's controversial in the minds of some, that was announced by the Trump administration yesterday. Of the, of the classifications of the people who come into this country legally and then don't leave, uh, they estimate that the highest overstay, but that's what they call it, the highest overstay rate, people coming into the country illegally who don't live when they leave when they should, are people who come in on student visas. Here we're going to study, and then you know once our studies are complete, we're going to go back. Well, the highest group is is those students. They come in on student visas, and then they just don't go back. So what what the Trump administration has announced is it's going to start cracking down on people who come into this country on visas and don't leave when they should. And they're going to start toughening the penalties. Um, Here's the statement that they issued yesterday that Director of Citizenship and Immigration Services says visa holders are admitted to the United States for a specific purpose. And when that purpose is ended, we expect them to either depart or to obtain another lawful immigration status. So these new rules that they're going to be implementing target what they call F&M visas, which are overwhelmingly used by international students to enter academic and vocational institutions of higher learning, um, as well as J-1 visas, which allow students, professors, and visitors to participate in short-term cultural exchange programs. Under the policy... The government says, okay, first of all, it expects you to leave when you're supposed to leave. They would also begin to calculate what is called unlawful presence from the date that the visa holder's purpose in the country has expired. So, for example, if you come in to study English and you graduate from the master's program in on April 30th, well, all right, you're supposed to leave as of April 30th. All right, that makes sense, right? You're finished with your studies. You would think that that's when that you would calculate it. Well, in the weird world of the government, that's not how they calculate unlawful presence. Under the current policy, the calculation doesn't start until the government discovers the violation. So in other words, this this clock, you know, you're supposed to leave as of May 1st. 
they don't find out that you've been in the country illegally for three or four years, well, their their clock doesn't start till they find out that you've been here for three or four years, which makes no sense. The new policy also would say that visa holders found to be illegally in the country for more than 180 days would be barred from reentry for three to ten years, depending on how long they had overstayed. The current policy usually allows people who've stayed in this country too long to go back to their country and apply for a new visa right away. This policy would say if you overstay, there's going to be a penalty and you're going to have to wait before you can apply to come back. All right, our numbers, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A uh, couple stories that I've been reading in the New York Times and the Washington Post. Like I say, you don't have to read those newspapers. People, some people are just outraged about this. How dare we? How dare we expect that people who've come in on these visas are supposed to leave when the visas are, are up or make other arrangements to stay here? And how dare we say that if they overstay, that there should be some penalty for overstaying? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, again, at the risk of being labeled the ugly American here, it just it seems to me it's pretty clear. If you are in a country for a particular purpose, if you have a visa that lets you stay for six months, all right, and you're here for a year. You're here illegally for that last six months. And I guess I, I just I have no sympathy for this. You need to make arrangements before your visa expires to get some form of extension or you need to go back to where you came from or somewhere else. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you don't, well, I, I, I guess I don't have a problem with there being any sort of penalty. I told this story a while back. I had an acquaintance, and I'm, I I didn't know him at the time, but he was telling me that, that he, he had a, a student visa. And he was in Ireland. It was Ireland. I'm almost positive it was Ireland. And he overstayed. He overstayed by a week. And on, like, the fifth or sixth day, there's police that are knocking on his door and they're saying, okay, you, you have overstayed your visa. You have to leave. And if you don't leave, you know, we're, you know, we're not going to take you into custody today, but you, you've got to be gone like right away. And if you're not gone, this is, this was Ireland. If you're not gone, you know, in the next couple of days and we catch you again, well, you know, you're going to the Hooskow. And that's, that's essentially what he was told. And, and he left and he'd only overstayed a, a week. This idea that, you know, you can have people who legally come into this country and then just sort of disappear into the fabric of the country, not to be seen again until, well, in the case of the 9-11 hijackers, they, they hijack a plane. And I'm not suggesting that people who overstay their student visas are all hijackers or anything like that. I'm not implying that. But you, you have to have some form of controls. And, and I guess I don't have a problem with cracking down on people who have overstayed their visas. If you're going to be in another country and you're there for a limited purpose on a specific time, you've got to either make arrangements to get the thing renewed or you got to leave. 414-799-1620. Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Um, maybe we should do like we do with the, the criminals and stuff, fingerprint them and also picture them. Uh, and if they overstay, uh, have a, uh, you know, boot their butts up. But, uh, 
have a government system in here, kind of like we have for the criminals and stuff. I mean, uh, it's about time we do a database on, on all this stuff like that so that we can control this and get rid of some, get rid of these people that are not... Well, or at least keep track of them. I mean, thanks yeah. for the call, Tom. I mean, see, the, the, the problem is there's, there's very... There, the, we, we are way, way behind in, in tracking, you know, what happens to people who come into this country legally. You know, you come in and you've got a, a visa that says that you're going to be studying, again, English at the University of Wisconsin or what, Milwaukee, whatever. Um, we, we don't really have good methods of tracking, are you still in school? Um, have you graduated? Have you dropped out? You know, where are you living? We don't have a, a good system for following people like that. So in many cases, it's just kind of catch as catch can. I, I do think if we're going to enforce our immigration laws, and I've got a text here that says no other country in the U.S., you know, in the world, uh, allows a lot of the things that the U.S. does. And I think that's exactly correct. My advice to you would be, I don't care where you're going, if you go on a visa, whether it's a student visa or a visitor's visa or whatever, and you overstay, they're going to track you down and you're going to be in a whole bunch of trouble. In the United States, we kind of look the other way on all this. The Trump administration is saying, we're going to change all this this stuff. We're going to start cracking down on it. And, and what it does is it does put a burden on the person that's come into the country to study or whatever to follow the law. But is that unreasonable? I, I mean, seriously, we, we tell you, all right, you know, you've got to get your driver's license renewed. You've got to get your passport renewed. You know, you, you have all these different things that you have to do. You have to put money in your bank account if you're going to write checks on it. I mean, those are things that people have to be responsible for. And I think if I was a guest in another country there on a visa, the top thing on my priority list would be, okay, making sure that my status is appropriate and that I'm still legally entitled to be there. The Trump administration just flat isn't the bad guy on this one. When we come back, ESPN, interesting story today in today's Wall Street Journal. Stick around. It's 120. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I, I sent out, you can follow me on Twitter. It's um, at Jeff Wagner 620. Sent out a tweet with a link to some of the stories about this. Um, it is in the Wall Street Journal today. Front page story about ESPN confirming some of the things that a number of us have been saying for a while. The Wall Street Journal, I, I've got a link to some stories about the story because the Wall Street Journal article itself is behind a paywall. But I, I want to share a portion of it with you. Adding to ESPN's struggles, politics. John Skipper was furious. One of his star anchors, Jamel Hill, had sent a tweet calling President Donald Trump a white supremacist. Mr. Trump's supporters called for her to be fired. Prominent black athletes defended the anchor, who is African-American. Sitting in his office last September, Mr. Skipper, then ESPN's president, lit into Ms. Hill, according to people familiar with the meeting. If I punish you, he told her, I'd open us up to protests and come off as a racist. If I do nothing, that will fuel a, conserv a narrative among conservatives and a faction within ESPN that the network had become too liberal. Mr. Skipper chose to spare Ms. Hill. Mr. Trump weighed in on Twitter. ESPN is paying a really big price for its politics and bad programming. People are dumping it in record numbers. Um, and there was an element to that. It goes on to say, executives at the sports-minded giant wanted to seek out new audiences by spicing up shows with opinionated analysts and debate. 
including on SportsCenter, the struggling news and highlight franchise. So they wanted to do this. The problem is they did it by injecting politics, mostly left-wing politics, into the shows. Let's see. Um, the amount and intensity of political expression generated, however, generated sharp internal disagreements over whether ESPN was appropriately taking part in the broader national conversation or whether top executives were encouraging a divisive company culture and giving too much leeway to hosts to promote their left-leaning views both on the air and on social media. Well before Ms. Hill's tweet controversy, network icon Bob Lay had approached Mr. Skipper to say, there was a problem with balance internally, people familiar with the matter said. Um, Linda Cohn, one of ESPN's most prominent female anchors in April of 2017, gave a radio interview opining that ESPN's politics were pushing away viewers. And the story you know, goes on and on and on, and it talks about the various problems which ESPN has had. Um, first of all, you've got cable cutting, which is going on. People are just simply saying... You know, ESPN isn't worth the added surcharge that we're paying. And so, you know, it's just not worth it. So we want to get away from that. Um, one of the problems ESPN has, and ESPN has lost millions of subscribers over the last seven years. Another problem they have is a belief that they've overpaid for rights fees. They were thrown away around all this money for all these different live sports. And it, it's not justifying the return. Um, also, that they have... They, they sunk a lot of money into the, the on-air talent um, that weren't necessarily delivering the ratings. So you got people cutting the cords. You've overpaid for a lot of sporting events, and you've got huge personnel costs, a lot of which you just have to eat because they laid off a lot of reporters. And they laid off a lot of analysts, but many of them are still under contract anyway, so they're still collecting money. And on top of all that, you throw in the politics, um, almost universally left-leaning politics. And what you have is that this spiral that they still can't figure out how to come out of. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this story nails it. I don't think the decline at ESPN is exclusively due to politics. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. But I do think one of the dramatic changes that you've seen over the last couple years is that this desire to get into all this opinion-based stuff, which is fine. If you tune into my program, you know you're going to get my opinion, and you know it's going to be tinged you know, with a degree of politics. We don't talk exclusively about politics, but you know where I come from. But that's what I do on a radio talk show. I think for ESPN, most people don't tune into ESPN to hear lefty talking heads uh, discussing the national anthem policy. They tune in for sports. And I think ESPN has lost its way. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you still watch ESPN? And were you or have you been turned off by the politics? My answer is, yeah, I do, but I watch it a lot less, and that's one of the many reasons. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Jared in West Dallas. Hi, Jared. Hi. I have to, uh, about the ESPN. Right. I, uh, I, I personally have, uh, have stopped. I don't stop watching. I watch it definitely less than uh, 
that he's, he's definitely because of the, the, all the politics they get into. I'm there just, I'm trying to tune in the sports highlights and all that, and it's just, yeah. it's not the same anymore. Yeah, you, you, you want to, you want to turn in, you, you want to see, okay, what are the big home runs in baseball and, you know, who, who, who scored the touchdowns in football? You don't want to be lectured to about whatever the social issue of the day is. Exactly. It, yeah, like, I remember I was younger, waking up for school, I'd always, they would just have highlights of just yeah. like game after game, and I, the ones you didn't watch, and it's good to see that, and now, like, I right. personally don't care about any, like, that other stuff. I'm trying to, like, tune in the sports. Yeah. Well, right. Well, the thing is, Jared, if if you care about that other stuff, if you want to hear those discussions about the political issues of the day, there's a lot of different places you can go to get that. Whether exactly, it's like, yeah, yeah. Up, up and down the dial, find. I mean, every you know, there's there's a ton of talking head shows on TV that you can find if you want that based on you know your your view. You don't tune into ESPN for that. I'm with you. Yeah, no, it, it, they're trying to butt into something else that that it shouldn't be can be discussed on it. It's a sports network and that's what that's what it should be. Right. No, thanks for calling and it, and it's and it's hurting them. And it, it's not the only reason why they're hemorrhaging subscribers. Like I say, there's it's complicated. There's all sorts of stuff that's going on, but it's definitely one of the factors. Okay, here's some text. Jeff, even for someone who just couldn't vote for Trump, I change the channel when they get political. I tune in for um sports talk. Um Let's see. I noticed another text. I noticed their program began a steady decline in quality of content and overall sports coverage several years ago. They began to focus almost exclusively on big market events and sappy personal interest pieces. Then they supplemented it with shouting match opinion shows and eventually full on social uh, programming, justice programming. It's been a slow march over the edge. It, it has. Here's another text. I've talked about this with my friends for years. I call it the Oprahfication of sports. Sports Center is about five minutes of highlights, 15 minutes of commercials, and 40 minutes of them talking about how they feel about something. It has become unwatchable. Yeah, it, it really is. Here's another text. We can get politics just about anywhere these days. People love sports and love to watch ESPN to get away from politics. Sports was always one of the few things that still brought us together. Now for them to go political, both on air and online, and always coming from the left, many people have just had enough. Yes, that's what Kevin says, and he's right. You know, and that's what people at, at ESPN are are saying. Here's the story again, continuing from the Wall Street Journal. Mr. Skipper, that's the former president of ESPN, sought to promote progressive social values, but often his moves came off as overtly political, staffer said. Under Skipper, ESPN awarded a prestigious ESPY award for courage to Michael Sam, the first openly gay athlete drafted into the NFL, and another to Caitlyn Jenner for coming out as a transgender woman. When Mr. Trump disparaged Mexican immigrants during his candidacy, ESPN shifted a charity golf tournament from Trump National Golf Club to a different venue, a move ESPN's public editor at the time said was political. Conservative ESPN staffers grew frustrated by increased political commentary, including from ESPN executives during the presidential election, and worried about the hashtag boycott ESPN cropping up on Twitter. Our viewers turned to us for sports, said Jay Crawford, a longtime Sports Center host who was laid off a year ago. Realizing there's never been a time in my lifetime when our country has been more divided, I saw no value in adding to that division. Yeah. And it goes on and on and on. If you have access to the Wall Street Journal, it's a fascinating story that appears. And I, I think it just, it nails it on the head. 
there is a, I understand that there are people who absolutely can't get enough of politics and you know who you are. <laughs> it's, I, I, I get that. And, and there's folks that just, whether it's Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or whatever, they're just riveted to that. And, and that's what they want to hear, uh, you know, 24-7. But that's not everybody. And the truth is, I, I think there's a lot of people who look to sports for escape. I said, I was at the Brewers game last night. It wasn't a very good game from the Brewers' perspective, but it was a beautiful night. I was there with my best friend. You know, we had a brat. We had a beer. It was just a, a great time, and you're talking about baseball. You're not thinking about the politics of the day. You're there to relax and enjoy yourselves. Sports is a pastime, and I, I think, you know, that's – what it is first and foremost. You're not there necessarily to solve the problems of the world. And I'm not saying that you shy away from some of the issues and all, but you know what? People tune into those networks to watch sports. They don't want to have politics, you know, thrust down their throat, which is why, as I said yesterday, I, I think the NFL saying, hey, look, you know, we've got a rule, and during the national anthem, if you're going to be on the field, you got to stand. Now, if you don't want to, if you don't want to stand, fine, stay in the tunnel. You don't have to come out. To me, that makes perfect sense, saying, all right, we're not going to use our venue, our sporting venue. We're not going to use this as a, an avenue for social protest. We're here to entertain people, and if you want to make political statements, go with God, but do it on your own time. 141, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 144, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A little bit of ZZ Top on Friday afternoon. All right, there there has been another police use of force case in the news locally, and it's kind of gotten driven by the back pages because of the Sterling Brown situation. But I want to revisit because there's been a development. May 11th, you will remember, a couple weeks ago, um, it was Friday afternoon around 4.30, there was the incident at Mayfair Mall. Remember, you had a group of young people who were behaving in a disruptive and a disorderly fashion in the mall. It got so bad that security had to call the Wauwatosa police. The Wauwatosa police arrived, and you remember there were various videos of this. Um, the kids, and I say kids, young men, run from the police. They won't stop. Uh, the police grab one kid who ends up struggling with them. First, there was the 13-second cell phone video of where you see the patrol officer throwing a forearm. Um, there was then a longer video that gave you kind of a better perspective on on this as to what had happened. Uh, the family has, of course, has a lawyer who is contemplating. Matter of fact, they filed a, a notice of claim, which is a precursor to a lawsuit, thinking that there's going to be you know big bucks, I guess, in this. Boy's mother apparently through the lawyer issues this uh, statement about how She's just uh, appalled by this. And my comment at the time was, hey, hey, lady, maybe you should have been more appalled with the fact that your child was behaving in this way in the first place. But in any event, kind of pushed into the back burner because of the Sterling Brown thing, is the fact that uh, two days ago that the, the Wauwatosa police released its report of this. And, and what happened is, you know, they went to a, a, a group of experts, outside folks, um, on use of force, and the conclusion was that the police officer were just the officer was justified in in what they they did. The use of force incident was reviewed by two instructor 
trainers uh, trained by the state of Wisconsin defensive and arrest tactics system. Neither of them are employed by the Wauwatosa Police Department. They separately reviewed the video of the encounter as well as the police department reports. They did interviews, and what they determined was that this was fine. Um, here's apparently, you know, what what happened. The report says that when the officer arrived on the scene, and remember they've been called because you have these kids that are behaving in a disorderly and disruptive fashion, they are now running through the parking lot. Um, when the officer arrived, he told the males to stop running numerous times, and they refused to refuse to comply. The officer attempted to detain one of the males, and as he tried to detain him, the guy pulled away from the officer, and a physical struggle began. The officer attempted to decentralize the suspect to get him on the ground and control him. The male, this would be that poor innocent child who's going to file the, law, file the lawsuit, exhibited assaultive behavior towards the officer by wrapping both of his arms around the officer's waist, then attempted to take the officer down to the ground. Based on the male's behavior and continued resistance, the officer struck the male in the face and used his body weight and arms to try to control him. Then the male, this would be the kid, attempted to get up multiple times and continued to resist the officer's control efforts. And after that, he struck the, the cop struck him again. After being struck the second time, the male complied with the officer's control ex- efforts, according to uh, the report. The review stated that the male who was punched was not injured and did not need medical attention. He was transported to the police department and was issued municipal citations for battery, resisting an officer, and disorderly conduct. While at the station, the male apologized for his actions and stated he understood why force was used and that he should have stopped when instructed to do so, according to the report. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So now you have experts who are looking at this and saying there is nothing to see here. They're they're just these allegations of abuse and assault and unnecessary force. There's just nothing to see here because what happened is you had people who refused to, who were engaged in, they were engaged in illegal conduct or at least disruptive and disorderly conduct. They refused to stop when instructed to by the police. When the police officer caught one of them, the kid struggled with him, including wrapping his arm. He got into a fight with the police officer, essentially hand-to-hand combat with the police officer, and the officer struck him with his forearm twice, once to kind of knock him down and then once to make him stop resisting after he was on the ground. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, the attorney for the family has filed a notice of claim, which is, again, like I say, it's a precursor to a civil lawsuit. I don't think this kid deserves a dime. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it is more than a little bit irritating that you have people who are the bad guys. And I, I mean, I'm talking generically. I don't know if it's a good kid or a bad kid or whatever. But people who do bad things and then try to play the victim card. None of this happens a couple weeks ago if, first of all, the kids aren't gay. If they're, if they're behaving themselves out at Mayfair Mall, this isn't a problem. 
If they leave when the security guard tells them to, it's not a problem. If they stop once the police arrives, it's not a problem. If you don't get into hand-to-hand combat with a police officer, none of this happens. Like I say, I don't think this is a situation where one dime, one dime should be paid out to this kid who precipitated this whole thing by his conduct. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 151. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. David in Wauwatosa. David, your neck of the woods. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. You've had a couple of uh, segments this afternoon that I found very interesting. The first one being the Pucks player in the Walgreens parking lot mm-hmm. sometime back. Had the police officers showed a little respect in that situation, it would have been a non-deal. And then we'll jump forward to the deal at Mayfair Mall, mm-hmm. where the five kids were raising hell and the mall cops found it necessary to call the coast of police. If that kid would have shown some respect, respect to the cops, as he admitted to in the police station when he wasn't showing off for his buddies, there would have been no situation there. Yeah, yeah all, I mean, it, right, it, you're, you're exactly right. It's simply a matter of... None of this happens. And Okay, so the, the kids are running through the parking lot. The police car pulls up. If they stop and they answer questions, chances are they're going to be sent on their way. They'll be told, you know, don't come back. Maybe they get a disorderly conduct ticket. But, right, you, you don't, the, the officer doesn't want to lay hands on these kids, but he starts this struggle and they're running away. What's the cop supposed to do? He did what he's trained to do. Well, right, exactly. And I mean, I'm trying to imagine, David, in, a, in you know, in, in what alternative universe do we have a situation where somebody thinks that they can lay hands on a police officer and grab somebody around their waist and start tussling with them, and they don't think that something bad is going to end up happening there? I mean, it's it's just it's a recipe for disaster. You you, you said a key word there, Jeff. They're not thinking. You used the word think. They're not right. thinking. But they wouldn't act that way. Well, right. I mean, now, thanks to the call. I appreciate it. And this is, it is the frustrating thing that is out there. And see, this is the bigger picture. And it's why this, I, I don't want to double back on what we talked about last hour about the Sterling Brown thing. But I, I, I think there are occasions, it's tough to be a cop. And police officers are not perfect. But at the same time, I think that there is this general attitude in certain parts of the community that we don't have to we can completely disregard what police officers say. We don't have to obey them. And in this day and age where everybody's got a cell phone, we're going to scrutinize every action they take. Here, look at this 12-second video. Here you see this police officer throwing a forearm at this teenager. Oh, isn't that terrible? And nobody wants to focus on what it was, you know, the, the 10 minutes, the 20 minutes beforehand that led up to this situation where, in this particular case, the teenager made a whole series of bad choices, one after another after another, which led to that 12 seconds that you see, none of which that 12 seconds wouldn't have happened if the person had, you know, David's phrase was respect for the law. I I mean, just if he had simply followed the law, followed the instructions of the police, not engaged in bad behavior. But, of course, nowadays also, I mean, everybody sees this stuff as payday. Every time there's a situation where you have one of these incidents, well, you know, we're we're going to file this lawsuit. We're going to file a notice of claim. We're going to try to cash in. Well, at, at some point in time, I, I hope some of these communities fight these things. 
because otherwise this is all that you're going to see. It's tough enough to be a police officer. And look, I get it. Police are not perfect. They make mistakes. And again, as I've said earlier, I think the Sterling Brown case was an example of where I don't think the Milwaukee police, those officers on the scene, handled this right. They they did not de-escalate. In the situation with this Wauwatosa police officer, though, what are you going to do? You're telling kids who've been engaging in, you know, misbehavior to the point that the cops have to be called. They're trying to flee from you. You catch one of them, and he decides that he wants to fight with you. Well, okay, you decide that you're going to fight. Don't whine if you end up getting slapped down. Oh, this is so terrible. Well, all right, for anybody who thinks it's terrible or family members who are outraged, well, maybe you should just talk to the kid about the underlying behavior in the first place. Just saying. It is 159. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up in the next hour of the program, including a special summer-themed edition of our Pop Culture Corner. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 159. It's 209. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Eric Bilstein. Do you um do you still get a hard copy of the the Journal Sentinel, the local newspaper? I do not. We do get one here in the newsroom that I will peruse through, but not at home. He's, and, and and the reason I say this is I I, I don't either. For for years and years I, I did, and I think I might have told the story before. And then it, it came up for renewal, and they wanted like four hundred some dollars or something like that. I said really? And so I called up, and they said, well, you know, you've been a subscriber for thirty years. We'll give you a deal like three hundred and sixty. And I said, nah. I said no, I, I, I don't I don't think so. And and then I said, but I mean, I, I do like to check it out online. And mm-hmm. they said, oh, okay, online, great, twenty dollars for the year, or whatever it was. It's okay, fine. And so I, I mean, I, I along with, I mean, obviously, I, I do read the, the stuff that sure. they put there, as well as lots of other stuff and things. Um, but I'm always, I'm always kind of at a loss as to what appears on the website and what actually makes it into the hard copy of the paper, because I, I don't think I've, I've since I canceled, I don't think I've had a hard copy of of the paper um, in my hands. So I, I don't know. There's a really interesting story. And again, I don't know if it's appeared in the hard copy of the paper, but just online. But very timely with Memorial Day, this this thing about the 12 most crash-prone intersections in the Milwaukee area. Have you seen that? I have not. Okay. And again, I don't know if it's it's online. I don't know if it's going to be there. But but they, they, they've gone out. And actually, it's it's very good. It's worth reading. It's It lists the, the 12 most crash-prone intersections in the Milwaukee area. All right. You, you're a man about town. You get around. What's the worst intersection that you think? I mean, most dangerous or, you know, most crash prone or whatever? Uh, there are a couple that I can think of. There's one on Silver Spring that the light is always not working. It's like, uh, I want to say like 32nd in Silver Spring. I take that way and it right. like, seems like the light is always out. So that one makes me nervous. There's one near, there's a Capitol Drive one also. Ooh, where is that? It's it's near the the forty one forty five. There's one in that area that makes me nervous too. Okay. Well, actually, according to their their numbers, the worst intersection around here is is it's forty five and Capitol Drive. You know where you're, which is just I I mean I think whoever designed that intersection was probably just out of a test of let's mix lots of marijuana and beer and LSD <laughs> together because that's the one where. You know, you've got a, it's where Capitol Drive going east and west, and you want to catch like 45 going north or south, yeah, and you've got to go through different lights and get in left, right, and then you got to go through one light and then get into a left turn. It's, it's just, I mean, I, I've spent almost my entire life here, 
And I still get confused going through that intersection as to what light am I supposed to look at. And that's apparently that's that's the most dramatic one. Did um, the that, roundabout make it? The the one uh, off of forty three. Isn't there a roundabout over there by the the uh, the movie theater near the Hales Corners area or something like that? Uh, not sure. Heading the dangerous dozen is what they call it. Is the multi tiered convergence of I forty one and Capitol Drive which amassed 218 crashes in a five-year period from 2012 through 2016. total of 87 people were injured in those crashes. The junction is unusual because it has three levels of traffic. Yes. Um, They say it's it's unique because you don't find too many three-tiered intersections. You've got through traffic east-west. Then you have all the turning traffic, mm-hmm. one layer above. Then you have the freeway section above that. So there's plenty of opportunity yep. for drivers to get confused. And Harley's right there, too. So there's an exit for Harley and an entrance there where that can throw people off. Too. Right, right. So that that's the number one. Um, one that makes the list a lot is pretty um, by Bayshore, Port Washington Road, and Silver Spring. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. you've got... All sorts of stuff that's going yeah, coming off the highway, getting right? On there. All sorts of stuff that's going on, um, and then pretty much anything on Blue Mound Road. <laughs> you know, yes. I mean, pretty yes. much, pretty much anything on on Blue Mound Road. I mean, you, you go through well, this list. Honest to God, I mean, I'm looking at the top twelve: um, West Greenfield Avenue and Moreland Road, I ninety four and Moreland Road, Blue Mound Road and Barker Road, Blue that, Mound Road and Moreland. That Gerkey's <laughs> Corners area that drives me crazy. All the I, and I always end up taking the wrong road to get somewhere. I'm either getting on the highway when I didn't mean to, or off it and when I, I didn't oh, mean yeah. to. So. But, but in any event, it, it it's a very interesting. It's very interesting, and I thought it would be worth on a Memorial Day Friday as people are getting ready to hit the roads. All right, what's what is the worst area as far as worst, whether it's most confusing or most dangerous or whatever? In your mind, what what's the worst area to drive as far as the way things are are laid out? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, it's interesting when I saw this headline. Be aware of the 12 most crash-prone intersections in Milwaukee area. I swear, the first thing I thought of was that Capitol Drive, you know, 41 thing. It's just, every time I go through it, and again, this is somebody, I've I've been driving in this area for more years than I want to acknowledge. Every time I go through it, I'm always trying to concentrate, okay, what lane do I need to be in? What lights am I looking at? Where do you have to be? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And candidly, I think that that's a design flaw. I mean, I I think whoever designed that um, really kind of missed the boat. But as you drive around the area, is there a particular intersection that you say, man, this one is just an accident waiting to happen? And I understand, too, that... The way people drive, and you have areas where people are blowing through red lights and stuff like that. But I'm talking about, you know, the 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 thing where you just cringe when you have to go through that particular area because you're taking your life in your hands. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We're back to discuss in just a minute. It's two fifteen. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Two eighteen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Uh, Journal Sentinel, at least online. I don't know if this made the hard copy of the paper. Um, they, they've got a big piece. It's kind of interesting. The twelve most crash-prone intersections in the Milwaukee area. Uh, pretty much any intersection on 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 um, Blue Mound Road, you know, ends up there. Uh, the worst intersection, as far as accidents, is Fort where Capitol Drive on the west side and, and US forty one meet. That's 
That's just a disaster. But I'm I'm curious, what do you think it is? 414-799-1620, Diane in Milwaukee. Diane, you're first. Hello. Hi, how are you? Um, great topic, and you're right with the uh, selection so far. But I'd like to add um, Summerfest right down where the uh, Summerfest is uh-huh. and, and the Art Museum and Discovery World. That is a mess. And the free, we were telling you got the freeway entrances, and you got to be oh. in the one lane if you're going to go west on Michigan or Clybourne, and got to be in another lane Holy if you want to go to Discovery mackerel. World. Wait, yeah, <laughs> wait until the summer. But to cap this off, there was the mother of all potholes where you turn <laughs> right to go down to the Harbor Restaurant, and uh, I went in it just a week ago, <laughs> oh, and I went back and measured it. It was ten inches deep with a big piece of rebar and 12 inches in diameter. Well, it took going to the mayor's office and a police officer to get it filled, but that helped that intersection tremendously. I I assume from your comment that you damaged your car? Oh, yeah. I tore the tire up, brand new, uh, one of those run-on flats. I had them all around, (laughs) which is a good thing for people to do, get that road hazard insurance. Uh, Our city is. Yeah. Um, okay. Thank, thanks for calling. No, I'm I, I'm back with. I see. I, I I can't I can't go down the pothole route because I want to talk about dangerous intersections. Because if we talk about potholes, um, that that's a whole other topic. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Julie in Milwaukee. Julie, the most dangerous intersection, the one you hate. Hello. It is on. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It is on uh, Howard and seven ninety four. The expressway. Okay. There's like two or three stoplights. So if you're on Howard and you're going to turn left onto 794, okay. you're at a light. Yeah. And that light turns, and then you're on the overpass, and oh. that light turns turns oh. uh, red, and you have to stop. So now you're on the overpass, yes. and you have to watch for it to turn, the light to turn green yes. to turn left or right, whichever way you're going. Yes. It's horrible. It's, it's just horrible. I have no idea what the statistics are for accidents there, but if you're not paying attention and you are not familiar with that intersection, it's very dangerous. No, I know. I'm trying to look through my list, I, but I know exactly where you uh, – I because I, my, my in-laws used to live – off of Howard on on the other side of like Layton there, so I so I know exactly where you're on the other side of um uh what what's the what, what's the street that runs in front of the airport? But but um yeah, so I know exactly where that area where you're talking about. Yeah, thanks to call. That's that's you you get all those these different places that are around. I mean, I would add. I mean, downtown. A lot of times, you know, I'll go to the ball game and I'm leaving downtown on like what is it Ninth Street, and you're trying to go north to kind of catch the freeway. That's always kind of catch and catch, Ken, too, trying to figure out where you're going. Uh, John, downtown. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, Jeff. Hi, John. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, my intersection is with the 51st and Capitol, uh, Atkinson and Capitol, and Green Bay and Capitol. Here's why. I drive uh, 124th and Capitol down to Fort Washington Road, sometimes two, occasionally three times a day. People run red lights like they were water. Yep. Uh, there's, no, there's no regard. The worst I've ever seen was the driver on uh, actually 51st and Capitol. Coming in my rearview mirror, I could see him coming. Uh, he definitely was speeding. He drives up on the sidewalk because he could not get through the 
was stopped at the red light. I saw that vividly, definitely with my own eyes. It's unbelievable. Is when, I get to, when I get to 60th and Capitol, and I'm going east towards Fort Washington Road, I go into the hypervigilant mode. I've been passed several times with people going 50, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, and I, that's my judgment. And I'm telling you, sir, that <laughs> Capitol Drive is unbelievably dangerous. It, it is, it, it's, I'm trying to, it's 51st and Capitol. Is that where it kind of spins off and there's the street that goes on an angle, kind of southwest, and then Capitol goes another way, or is that before 51st Street? All right, 51st, Jeff, is uh, where Fond du Lac yeah. and Capitol come together. Right, okay, right. That's that's the intersection that I am thinking of. Got it. Yeah, that's... That one, thanks. No, that's that's a mess, right? That's that's the one that I was trying to picture as well. And you got to be, you you have to know what lane you're supposed to be in. And, and yeah, and I know exactly what you're talking about when you talk about Capital Drive because you know when when you used to have when we here used to have a lot of the stories about before the Milwaukee police would chase Capital Drive was always the nightmare. People blowing through the red lights and things like that. In any event. Uh, this is available online on the Journal Sentinel's website. I don't know if they're going to put it in the paper or not, but it is kind of fascinating. And candidly, I, you know, it's it's based just on on a hard count of the numbers, and I, I don't typically disagree with it. It's pretty much, um, you know, Moreland, I, and I think a lot of it's based on traffic, not just design. But yeah, I mean, you, uh, any pretty much anywhere on Moreland Road as well, you know, you're you're taking your life into your own hands. All right, two twenty four, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, back in just a minute. It's 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, check it out. It's kind of an interesting uh, a, an interesting study. And if you think about it, as you, the different places you look at as you're driving around this community, you can understand that. There was a topic I was going to do, and we just didn't quite get around to it, but it is sort of instructive on, on Memorial Day. This is, it, it's going to be the first, it might be the first really nice weekend that, that we've had this year. Um, I, I understand we, we've had maybe a day here or there where it's been tolerable, but in, in general, you know, my experience has been cold and, and wet and just nasty. And it's, it's, and I understand we might get a little bit of rain over the course of the weekend, but it looks like the Memorial Day weekend is going to be nice. And one of the things that means is in addition to, I always say, try to remember the real purpose behind Memorial Day. But, you know, one of the things that means is people go to parks. They, My guess is you're going to have a lot of traffic down at the lakefront and things like that. A lot of people going to the beaches to enjoy being outside. Here is kind of my cautionary tale about this. I I, I just, I, I first noticed this years ago when I used to go to the lakefront fireworks and then the, the next morning, if you drive down the lakefront, it would look like what I imagine, you know, a city would look like after a bombing run in World War II. I mean, there was just stuff all, all over. And there's a big story today in the Chicago Tribune about how um, when it comes to littering, Memorial Day is really the unofficial start of the littering season. And that is people who go out to enjoy the parks, go out, enjoy the beaches, those type of things, and just don't pick up after themselves. And it's, I guess it's one of these things that's always been frustrating to me because I, I just, I flat don't get it. I mean, you wouldn't go over to your neighbor's house and sit in their living room, or at least most of you wouldn't, and like throw beer cans all over and just kind of walk out and expect somebody to pick up after yourself. Then what you see is, again, 
other people have to come pick it up, and it looks kind of like a blighted area. So this is the unofficial start of the littering season. So public service announcement, if you're going out to the parks or you're going down to the beach or whatever, take that garbage bag along and clean up after yourself. It's not that difficult. All right, when we come back, it is that time of the week, and this is going to be a fun one, unofficial start of the summer season. Um, I've got a great pop culture corner to take you into the weekend, so stick around. That's coming up in just a moment. Right now, it is 2.30. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here is Melissa Barkley. Thank you, Jeff. Disgraced Hollywood media mogul Harvey Weinstein turned himself into police in New York City today where he pleaded not guilty to charges of rape and committing a criminal sexual act. He was released on $1 million cash bond. He's due back in court on July 30th. Defense Secretary Jim Mattis says there is possibly some good news about a U.S.-North Korea summit. He says diplomats are working to get the summit back on track and calls the recent back and forth between the two countries the usual give and take. DOT warning drivers of buckling pavement as Americans hit the road this Memorial Day weekend. Pavement buckling occurs most often when the weather quickly goes from cool to very hot, causing the concrete to expand. Time now for the WTMJ Drake and Associates market update. The Dow is down today 75 points to 24,736. NASDAQ is up 5 to 7429. S&P 500 is down 8 to 2719. WTMJ Pella, Time saver traffic. There are a few delays out there. 43 northbound downtown to Capitol. One minute delay at 5. 43 northbound downtown to Good Hope Road, 30, or excuse me, three minute delay at 12 minutes. And 894 eastbound zoo to the hail, two minute delay there at eight minutes. Otherwise, 94 inbound from Highway 16 to the zoo, 10 minutes. Zoo to downtown, seven minutes. Also, 45 southbound Highway Q to the zoo interchange, 15. Good Hope Road to the zoo, 10 minutes. And 94 inbound from Layton Avenue to the Marquette Interchange, looking at seven. WTMJ five-day forecast today. Well, if you've stepped outside, you know, mostly sunny, uh, very warm, a little humid too. High 88 tonight, partly cloudy, chance for a thunderstorm, a low 64. And for tomorrow, mostly sunny, very warm, humid, a high 88. Sunday, mostly sunny, a high 91. Monday, mostly sunny again, high 88. And all the way into Tuesday, partly cloudy, chance for a thunderstorm at a high 84. Right now in Oak Creek, it is 88 degrees. Germantown, 88. And in Milwaukee, we're at 88 degrees. I'm Melissa Barclay, News Radio WTMJ. And I'm Jeff Wagner, Pop Culture Corner, right around the corner. It's summertime and movie going watching is fun. Stick around. It's 234, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Hope you enjoy your Memorial Day weekend again. As we've been saying, um, I, I encourage you to take a couple of minutes as you're enjoying your golf game or your cookout or your picnic or your trip to the beach. And just remember the real purpose of Memorial Day is to take a moment and remember the people who've made the ultimate sacrifice so we can enjoy our freedom. It's Memorial Day weekend to commemorate John McCure highlights the men who care for the graves at Wood National Cemetery. Tune in, 3.30 today on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Okay, we are at that stage of the week where we kind of put aside the heavy lifting. We stopped talking about immigration policy and North Korea and politics and the police. And we try to have a little bit of fun as we go into the weekend. I call the segment Pop Culture Corner. We talk about things going on in the pop culture. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's 
cars, sometimes it's sports, sometimes it's music, TV, whatever happens to tickle my fancy uh, in a given week that I hope will be of interest to you. This is, of course, the unofficial start of summer. I understand that summer doesn't technically get here till for another couple weeks, but it's the start of summer. You can, by the way, watch us as we do Pop Culture Corner, or watch me, that's the royal us. Um, we're live streaming. If you go to WTMJ.com slash studio cam, one word, WTMJ.com slash studio cam, you can see what we all look like, and you can see my producer kind of in the background. Uh, for Pop Culture Corner this week, I think we're going to go back to two movies. Um, I Actually, what happened this week, there's one of the great summer movies is John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John going back years and years for, for Grease. Remember the movie Grease? Well, I didn't realize this, but um, at the end of the movie Grease, apparently there there's a, a scene where John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John kiss each other. And it's uh, it, it goes back to the beginning of the movie, and it was kind of like to give it closure. Somehow, somehow that that kiss got cut out of the movie and never appeared. And so what they did is it's the 40th anniversary of Greece, and so they're bringing it back. And on the new DVD they've got, they've restored that was what was supposed to be the original ending. Matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, I, I sent out a tweet that had a link to this where you can actually see that. It's, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. But I, I sent out a tweet where you could you could actually see this little this five second snippet that the end of the brought at the end of the movie. It was kind of an interesting bit of trivia. But I always thought Greece was one of these great summer movies. So for pop culture corner this week. We are going back to the drive-in. The best movie for a hot summer night. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. You know, we'll go back to the drive-in. Maybe maybe it maybe it's that movie you want to watch at the drive-in. Maybe it's that movie that you want to I don't know, you've got the TV that you've moved outside, it's the patio. You want to sit out on the hot summer night and watch it. Maybe it's the movie that you want to go into your man cave, open up the windows and sit and watch the movie. But the great, you know, your favorite movie to watch on a, on a summer evening, the best summer mover, movie around, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, when we do these segments, I always encourage people to try to, first of all, call quickly because our phone lines do tend to jam up and uh, go with your first instinct because sometimes people tend to overthink it. But let's have a little bit of fun this Friday as we go into the Memorial Day weekend. All right, the best summer movie, the fun movie, and it, and it can be a serious movie. I mean, you know, Jaws, for example, I mean, Jaws was the first summer blockbuster. Summer used to be a time when you didn't, you know, they just they just dumped all the movies, the bad movies, got you know put out during summer because they figured nobody was going into movie theaters. Well, Jaws changed all that. Now a lot of the big movies do, in fact, come out in the summer. So it doesn't have to be necessarily a lighthearted, fun movie, but it can be. The best movie for a hot summer evening. We're going back to the drive-in. Let me take a quick break. Then we'll be back with your calls, your texts in just a moment. 414-799-1620. Back to the drive-in on Pop Culture Corner. Once again, we're live streaming WTMJ.com slash studio cam 239. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, having a little bit of fun this afternoon. Pop Culture Corner, the, the best summer movie. We're back to the drive-in, best movie for a hot summer night. Let's start with uh, Linda. Hi, Linda, you're in WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Okay, best movie for that hot summer night? At the drive-in, Jaws. <laughs> okay. But it has to be raining. Oh, really? Yes. 
It, it's, it, do you remember the first time you saw that movie? Yes, at the drive-in, and it was raining. I <laughs> <laughs> got it. Well, I, I remember it. I will tell you, I remember the woman I went to see that with. I think I still have the marks in my arm for the way she grabbed me when that shark, when you finally saw the thing and it came out of the water and went after Roy Scheider. I, no thanks. I mean, I just, it was, it, but it was, it was a, I mean, I'm telling you, it was a great date movie for people who, you know, hadn't seen the thing before because, oh my gosh, once that shark came out, you know, people just don't. They, they, the ladies want to cuddle. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Renee in New Berlin. Renee, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Renee. We went and saw um, E.T. at the 24 Outdoor, and um, we went with a whole big group of friends, and that was the day I found out I was pregnant with my first baby. (laughs) Outstanding. The the child wasn't conceived at the drive-in. It was just you found out. Okay. No, no. But I could tell you a story about Jaws, man. I soaked the off-duty police officer behind me when I saw that movie. No, thanks for the call. See, I I imagine my producer is just looking at me saying, did you just say that? I Look, here's the reality. Now, by the way, for for this topic, it doesn't have to be a movie that you saw at the drive-in. I mean, but you know, understand what i'm talking about the kind of summer movie for hot summer night but i mean i imagine that there were children consumed consumed uh, the uh, children that were uh, again conceived at certain drive-ins i'm just saying that 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 probably happened 414-799-1620 let's talk to uh steve in mequon steve you're on wtmj hello hi thanks for taking my call yes, sir american graffiti i um that is the perfect summer movie there's Absolutely. no question about it. Last night of summer, four friends, innocence lost. What a classic! Well, also, I mean, and, and you look at all the careers that that started. Really, I mean, Harrison oh, yeah. Ford. Yep, at both and you guys are talking about Jaws. Well, Richard Dreyfus. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He, right. Yeah. I mean, he was right. I mean, it just goes on and on. I mean, he was in that, and you know, Ron yeah. Howard, of course. You know, that was the thing. No, TV fame and Laverne and Shirley with Cindy Williams. Cindy, yep, no, it, it's no. Thanks for calling. No, it's um, you know, American Graffiti um, is one of those movies. It's one that I, I I just absolutely never get tired of. But it's you know, George Lucas made it. It was right. It was before Star Wars, before any of that type of stuff. And I, I would agree with you. I think it's it's pretty close to a perfect summer movie. Ken in Dousman. Ken, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, uh, up in smoke. <laughs> You're a Cheech and Chong fan, huh? Yep, any one of them. <laughs> well, I think up in smoke is the first, and I think that's yep. the best, actually. Um, yeah, um, a lot of good times seeing that movie. It, well, you know, and the, the thing is, the, the thing is, Ken, it's a. Uh, I, I actually watched it uh, within the last year or so. I mean, I, I watched it again, and it's. It's it's dumb, but it's funny dumb. You know, <laughs> it's just exactly. That, that's what, sometimes that's what you need—the dumb funny. But, well, exactly. Right. Thanks for calling. You don't you don't have you don't have to think too hard. You don't have to work too hard. You just—I mean, it, it's it's the ultimate stoner movie. And um, you know, Cheech and Chong were just the quintessential you know '70s guys. And you know, I I used to, I can remember I, I can remember you know getting their records and stuff. And then they did that movie, and it just I, again it's. I'm not sure how well the movie really ages, but you can, if you're in the right mood, it's great. 414-799-1620. We're going back to the drive-in, the great summer movies. Jeff in Waukesha. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, hello. Yeah, American Graffiti for me also. I remember I, I followed my girlfriend at the drive-in and I had my 65 Mustang, and uh, 
I hung around with a lot of car guys. We all thought John Milner was like the coolest guy around with his yellow deuce coupe. And uh, it was just a great movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I- interesting. You know, in- interesting. I- again, I it's one of those that there- there's some movies that I just never get tired of watching, and that happens to be one of them. So, now thanks for calling. No, I, I guess I, I I loved American Graffiti on on so many different levels. You know, they did a they did a remake of it, and you know that that, that a sequel to it, and that that wasn't anywhere near as good. But the original American Graffiti just perfect, and it really helped launch Ron Howard's acting career because you know he he was of course Opie on the Andy Griffith Show, and after that he went on um, after based on American Graffiti he did uh, Happy Days four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mark in Whitewater. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Uh, it was the summer of, of 68. I was 17 years old, and I re- remember seeing it at the 16 Outdoor in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, the original Planet of the Apes with Charlton Heston. Oh, I remember I was get your hands off me, you damn <laughs> ape, or something like that, yeah. Take your stinking paws off right. of you, damn dirty <laughs> ape. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. That, and, of course, you know, that's where... You know, you, you see the movie, and, and especially by today's standards and stuff, you know, okay, it's, it's clearly like people in ape costumes, exactly. you know, but, but now that was, I, but at, at the same time, I mean, I remember the ending of that movie where he's on the yeah. beach, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, Statue of Liberty. Yeah, it was, no, I, thanks for calling. I, I just, I mean, Charlton Heston and Planet of the Apes, yeah, that, that would be, again, one of these sort of classic summer movies. Vicky in West Bend. Hi, Vicky, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Your favorite summer movie? Um, I think a good baseball movie would be For Love of the Game. Oh, um, right, with Kevin, Kevin Costner. Costner. Yeah. Yep. yep. That's the perfect baseball movie. How he ends up ending his career on such a high note. Yeah. And you don't really know till the very end if it's going to happen or not. Yeah, you know, I think that that's good. I mean, thanks to call for the love of the game. I, I think I, I would also I, I Bull Durham. I, I think would be a great summer movie. You know, that would be a, another really good one. You know, Bull Durham, a lot of fun. Um, the Natural with uh, Robert Redford. I mean, I think that's kind of another sort of great summer movie that kind of uh, captures that. I, I'm I'm just getting ready to start. There's a new book about this movie out and. Uh, but it's a great summer movie, Caddyshack. I don't think Caddyshack. I, I'm not as much of a fan of Caddyshack as, as some people are. I kind of. I think it's got like in, individual, like really, really funny scenes, and I love Rodney Dangerfield. I think the movie is kind of a mess as a movie, and I'm, there's a new book out about the making of Caddyshack that I, I'm. It's next or two down on my list of books that are all piled up on the coffee table to read. But that's that's clearly a good one. I'm looking forward to that. But Caddyshack would be another one that I think is kind of just a great sort of senseless summer movie that just kind of makes you laugh. Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? You know, Forrest Gump resonates this weekend. (laughs) Right, on so many different levels, sure. Uh, I'm a Vietnam vet, and it's just a great movie. And Tom Hanks is incredible. Yes, yeah, that that was you know that was a movie where it was so groundbreaking because you, you just you never I had no idea where that movie was going you know I, I just didn't I remember the first time I'm watching I'm thinking where so many movies are kind of predictable you have an idea as to where they're going to end up that one um, that one I didn't um, yeah it, it was good I think it was going with Bubba 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, the whole thing, and uh, you know, Lieutenant Dan. You know what I mean? You know what a great job. Yeah, incredible. No, thanks for the call. No, I mean just a uh, just tremendous. And by the way, thank you for your service, sir. Brian in Appleton. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, Jeff. Okay, the best I, summer movie. We're going back to the drive-in. Yeah, one that stands out for me is Mad Max. Uh, the you're talking we we're talking about the remake or the original with Mel Gibson? The original yeah. with Mel Gibson. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I could just remember that motorcycle, you know, the motorcycles that they had in the movie and everything. It it never had that style around and just the whole theme of the movie was so different. Mhm. And yeah. Mel Gibson, he he was so young. I guess yeah. like 22, 23. Yeah. I don't know. You know, if you wanted, you know, if you if we were really like programming, you know, a night at a drive-in, you know, you could do like a Mad Max trilogy. You, you know, you could do the Road Warrior and you can do the original Mad Max and a couple of you you could I mean, and wouldn't that be a cool thing, you know, like 6 hours of Mad Max movies. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. I mean, <laughs> it, it's one of those things. No. People think it's going to take off just like yeah. Wow. No, out, outstanding. No, thanks to the call. I, I, I watched the, uh, you know, they did the remake, what, a year or two ago, and it, it just, it got a, I mean, it did very well at the box office, but I just, I don't know. I As a general rule, I do not like remakes anywhere near as well as I like the original. 414-799-1620. Let's just go to our text line. We've got a couple people. Apollo 13. Um, you Interesting. I mean, I love Apollo 13. I think Apollo 13 is a great movie. What's what's so outstanding about Apollo 13 to me, and that's one directed by Ron Howard, we were talking about him earlier in American Graffiti, is that it, I love these movies where you know how they're going to turn out. I mean, like Apollo 13, you know they get back to Earth safely, but still it draws you in. I mean, that's that that to me is the, the great thing about some of these historical movies, that you, you know how it all turns out. But still, you're, you're watching it, and you're on the you know edge of your seat. Um, the uh, the movie that came out, uh, Hidden Figures, you know, last year, same sort of thing. Okay, you've got, I mean, it's the story about integration and about how you have these African American women who are going to work for whatever the spinoff of NASA is, and the big controversy at the end is, you know, John Glenn orbiting the Earth. You know, John Glenn, you know, makes it back safely, but still, it's riveting. Thel- All right, here's our. Um, let's see, here's our on our text line. Thelma and Louise, absolutely, that is a great summer movie. Blazing Saddles, that's right up there with Cheech and Chong. You could not make the movie Blazing Saddles in 2018. You just, that that movie is so incredibly politically incorrect, you just couldn't do it, I guarantee you. Andy in Montello. Andy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh the great outdoors, John Candy, Dan Aykroyd. Uh, John Candy, um, right? Thanks. You, you can't. I mean, yes, the great outdoors would be one. I, I, I was going to throw Uncle Buck in, but the great outdoors is a better summer movie. I, I think so. Um, I thought you were going to say Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing, also. All right, for I mean, just if for for people who are into romance, if you're looking for that. If you're looking for that movie for the hot summer night to kind of snuggle with your honey, that's a good one. Dwayne in Kenosha. Dwayne, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. I grew up in Lake County, Illinois, right across the state line, and I remember in high school, me and my girlfriend came up to Kenosha to the old Kino Drive-In and saw Smokey and the Bandit. (laughs) The original one, right? 
Yep, the oh. original. And I'm happy to say no children were conceived that night. <laughs> but we we did definitely fool around. But that was one of the most I, memorable movies that I that I have uh, from the drive-in. Oh, absolutely. I think I mean Jackie Gleason, Burt Reynolds, and that black Trans Am and Sally Field. Absolutely, I love it. I wish we had some more time. Jeff and Slinger wants to say Body Heat with Kathleen Turner. Huh. That's that's. That is, that is a great, great summer movie. I have not seen that in years, but that's, uh, that one brings back memories too. It's 255. We'll find out what John and Melissa have in their minds in just a minute. Stick around.